Good afternoon. Welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Uh, last time we met, uh, we tried to focus very specifically on one issue, which was the uh, so-called citizenship law, uh, which encountered a lot of challenges in the end, didn't pass. So we looked at that as a sort of paradigm for where this government is going, how long it could last, what its uh, weaknesses are, and certainly uh, that uh, episode exposed them. And also what the, co uh, what the opposition, the former coalition's plan strategy is a little bit. Uh, today we're going to touch on that a little bit more. And we're gonna start with really something quite remarkable. As we speak, uh, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett is trying to arrange a time where he can go and visit the United States for very important meetings with President Biden and you know, many other officials. Uh, on the agenda will certainly be Iran, that will be number one but also just a sort of getting to know you. Obviously they've met in the past, but not in their respective positions as president or prime minister. So it's a very important meeting. Uh, usually these meetings, you meet with the head, you know, the head of the house, um, leaders from both parties, other senior uh, decision makers, et cetera, et cetera. The problem that he has, and Naftali Bennett is, that as opposed to the usual way uh, governments work, when a minister, let alone a prime minister, has to travel abroad. Uh, um, usually what happens, or anyone who has to travel abroad, uh, members of Knesset travel in usual times, travel abroad frequently. What happens is, and we talked about that uh, in the past, there's something called kizuz, which is offsetting. If a member of the coalition is unable to attend uh, a vote, then someone of the opposition will step aside, or step out, or not vote, and vice versa. Uh, it's it's just a well-known tradition. It's protocol. It's uh, it, you know shows respect that you know no no side is trying to un, uh, gain an unfair advantage because obviously uh, the coalition with ministers uh, etc will obviously need to be out of the country a lot more than the opposition, which don't hold any formal positions and don't tend to go on formal state uh, visits. Uh, but the problem is because it's such a narrow margin, as we've said before, it's something like 61 to 59, um, the opposition has decided that they will not, uh, you know, uh, give any kizus. And we saw, we spoke about this last time, that even a bereaved brother, uh, a member of Knesset uh, from uh, New Hope, uh, whose sister died, was forced to return to the Knesset two hours uh, after, after the, the burial um, because they were so worried that the opposition were going to try and push through a vote while he was absent and then upset the very slim majority the coalition has. But now it could actually harm national security. We have a, a situation where Naftali Bennett needs to be in the US, uh, needs to meet with President Biden and other senior officials, but has to be back for at least Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, which are the most crucial Knesset days. Don't forget we have a, a sitting prime minister who is uh, religious 
And even if he wasn't religious, it is very, it's, it's, it's standard practice that a prime minister does not hold official meetings on the Sabbath or Shabbat, uh, unless you know, it really is a life or death situation, like during a war, conflict, or, or something like that. Uh, but then obviously in the US, it's, it's, it's not protocol, it's not standard for the president to hold meetings on the Sunday, because that's the day of rest there. So we're talking about extremely limited opportunities. Uh, because the opposition will not agree to the prime minister leaving, will not allow him uh, to even leave uh, and, and not attend one vote. They won't allow any of their members to offset this. And so they're busy trying to find a time where the two can meet uh, and discuss all these important issues. And really that just goes to the bottom of the animosity between the coalition uh, and the opposition at this point. We saw today some bizarre scenes of an opposition uh, which holds some right-wing parties voting against a very right-wing bill, something which they would certainly have supported uh, in any other normal times uh, about not giving citizenship uh, to terrorists, which makes sense. And it's something that Ayla Shaked and many others in the uh, coalition would have supported. In fact, it would have probably received very strong support, but it was voted down. Uh, on another issue, again, just to show how, how bizarre the situation is, on, on issues of security and diplomacy, yes, even in relatively quote unquote normal times, uh, you don't want to give the coalition a win, but there are so many issues which are not considered, you know, uh, coalition or opposition, they just should be bipartisan. Uh, these sort of issues come up all the time in the Knesset, you know, you're lucky even if you get 20 or 30 people vote for it and very little opposition. Today, there was a, a vote on how long uh, after, after someone uh, has, uh, has uh, been subjected uh, to rape, they have a test um, uh, to check if they have been raped and, and by who, et cetera, et cetera. Not to go into the details of it, but they basically wanted to extend the time that the police hold this specimen. Uh, they want to extend it longer to give uh, people more time to investigate and others to come forward, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a very straightforward uh, law, which pretty much, again, I can't imagine there'd be too much opposition. The government had to ensure that every single one of its members came to vote. Uh, and they received the 61 to 59, which is a bizarre situation that 59 members of Knesset voted against something which should have been standard. But this just shows where we are uh, today. It, there is so much animosity, the screaming uh, at the Knesset back and forth goes on, the name calling, uh, it's incessant, it, it just ramps up almost every single day and it's reached the level we saw this week, uh, Prime Minister Bennett, former Prime Minister Netanyahu, were attacking each other, you know, some might argue like school children, uh, just back and forth, really the name calling. Um, and Naftali Bennett, Prime Minister Bennett, uh, returned uh, an expression that Netanyahu had called him before when he was sitting in the opposition, uh, that him and his uh, allies are Hamutzim which means the sour pusses. Uh, so today or the other day, uh, Naftali Bennett called Netanyahu Hamutzim and sour pusses. Uh, but there was a real slangy match back and forth because in the Knesset, the prime minister uh, uh, was instructed, there's a rule in the Knesset that if you receive 40 signatures, you force the prime minister to attend uh, a special session where he has to answer questions from other members of Knesset. And obviously that will be done regularly. Um, and the leader of the opposition at the moment, uh, uh, former Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, basically took opportunity back and forth 
to respond to everything that Bennett said. And there was really nasty accusations. And the, these accusations weren't just during that Knesset session, they've gone all, all week. There's been accusations back and forth. Who was strong and who was tough on Hamas? Who was strong and who was weak on Iran? Uh, Netanyahu continued the accusations against Prime Minister, uh, 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 keep forgetting who's in, um, uh, Bennett, saying that uh, he and uh, Foreign Minister and alternate Prime Minister uh, Yale Lapid have agreed not to, uh, not to surprise the Americans. Uh, something which, by the way, a private, a former Prime Minister Netanyahu did on many, many occasions. You know, between allies, you don't tend to uh, surprise each other uh, on the whole. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu took this off the cuff sort of comment uh, that wasn't even registered in the US's press release uh, that basically they wouldn't act on Iran without American say so, which obviously is less likely to come. And he's been attacking this government again for something which he did numerous times over numerous years. But this is this is a point he's trying to attack uh, the government. Also, we've seen a resurgence of COVID infections, uh, corona infections over the last couple of weeks. Now, it's probably more than anything else a coincidence that the Delta variant, which is running through Israel at the moment, happened to arrive, actually it arrived the first time during the Netanyahu coalition, but certainly it's risen over the last few weeks. Uh, Netanyahu has been at, uh, uh, you know, almost joyous, the fact that he's been able to blame the coalition instead we beat coronavirus and within a few weeks it's back with a vengeance. It's clearly, you know, not necessarily anything the, the government did and there's a lot of steps that the government has taken, like at the airport, which the previous uh, government wasn't uh, able to do, uh, but it's certainly uh, considered a great concern in Israel. The numbers are starting to go up. Again, there's a whole debate in Israel, um, as is happening in the UK and many other places, uh, which number should really define the conversation. Should it be the numbers of infections every day, the numbers of positive cases, or should it be the numbers of serious cases? Uh, because in this wave, we certainly see a, a large distance between uh, the two. What we saw in previous waves is a very direct correlation, but in this wave, certainly less, probably largely to do with the, the significant vaccination rates in Israel. Um, but there is a lot of pressure on this government. This government, uh, don't forget, where, when they were in the opposition, they, they slammed the government and even some of the people like uh, the current education minister, uh, Shasha Bitton, uh, was a big critic of the government from in, within the government. Uh, and they uh, used to be very against a lot of the closures, a lot of the severe restrictions. So this government is uh, sticking to that to a certain extent and basically uh, not trying to put uh, restrictions. They are restricting things at the airport. They're trying to make that as, uh, as tight as possible and advising people not to travel at all, if possible, giving people fines if they go to certain countries, uh, giving others when they return from certain countries to go into isolation and making sure that everyone has a test in an orderly and quick fashion. Uh, so in that respect, uh, you know, they've certainly got things in order. Um, but the fact is that they haven't yet added any restrictions uh, within Israel. And there are calls from the opposition that you know, and even from health officials that it, it is time to act and it's very necessary. So that is something that, um, that is, is becoming part of the conversation here. There's, you know, everything is being used between the coalition and the opposition to attack each other. And there's no shortage uh, of issues. Um, so we have to ask, what is the strategy of Netanyahu and his colleagues? At the moment, they haven't really, even though the citizenship law 
didn't pass and it's certainly struggling to pass in the future, they haven't really made any great dents uh, in the coalition. And really, we know that there's only really two ways for this government to fall. The first is an confidence vote but for that you need to put up an alternative government and have 61 members and as we know the uh, opposition Netanyahu and his allies are only uh, 53 seats there's the joint Arab list which, which is six which obviously there isn't much coordination although there's more coordination between those groups uh, than, than they either would like to admit um, but to get to 61 they would mean some of the coalition to vote against to basically uh, end this government and, and, and their positions in the government, etc. So that's not going to happen at the moment. So the major point where this government could be broken up is, as we know from the previous governments, is the budget that doesn't pass on time. Now, the, the government uh, did vote for an extension to the budget, and the budget has to be passed by November. Um, and that's really where the big fight is, it really is. Everything else is sort of just to get you know, have things in order to try and delegitimize the government, to try to show it's not effective, to try to show the, the inconsistencies within the government. Uh, but really the big fight will be on the uh, budget. So what the government, what the opposition is trying to do, is trying to give uh, the, the government a taste of this by these massive filibusters, by trying to bring up every single little point and drawing it out, by attacking every single thing, by trying to uh, get as much of that 59-seat opposition, as I said, we're talking about Netanyahu allies and the joint Arab list, to every single vote. Um, and you may say, well, November is quite a long time to pass the budget. Well, don't forget, uh, within a, a couple of weeks, this uh, government will go, uh, this Knesset will go on a summer recess. And then when it returns, uh, there is the Jewish holidays, which take up most of September. So then you've really got October to pass what is, is is quite a large undertaking. It's not just a simple one vote on the budget. Every line in it has to be discussed. There has to be arrangements committee. There has to be discussions. There has to be votes. It, it's quite an arduous process. And don't forget, you need to have 61 uh, uh, you know, really focused members of Knesset without anyone getting ill. Today, we saw a member of Yeshatid uh, becoming ill. So they had to basically close uh, any voting, so I'd put off any votes that they were going to have today, because with one Yeshatid uh, MK testing positive for coronavirus, basically they didn't have the majority to pass anything. Uh, uh, ironically, if you like, the Speaker of the Knesset, a member of Yeshatid himself, Mickey Levy, actually departed from protocol from the last Knesset, where uh, even if you tested positive, you're allowed to come to a certain area, closed off area to vote, where well, he basically didn't want to do that. He'd been advised by health officials so we see, you know, that, uh, that any single person, whatever the case may be, whether they're ill, whether they're out of the country, can bring something down. So you can imagine trying to vote a budget with all the different line disagreements and every single issue turned over and over again. Uh, it's not going to be an easy task. But Finance Minister uh, Vitor Liebman has said that he'll present the first draft of the, of the uh, budget bill in August. And he is certainly hopeful, I spoke with him last week, he's certainly hopeful that the budget will be able to pass this. As I've said many times before, there's a lot of goodwill amongst the leaders. Uh, that's certainly uh, been tested. Even today, there was a cannabis bill, a, a bill to legalize a small amount of uh, cannabis for personal use. And there's multiple support in the, in the coalition to do so, except for uh, the Ram Party, Mansour Abbas, uh, on religious reasons. 
and they thought that this wouldn't be a problem. They argued, um, but he's standing firm on this. So the fact that Yesh Atid MK wasn't able to come and they put off the votes anyway, actually worked in their favor. But it shows that even on issues they thought that they had general agreement, uh, there's still a certain amount of work to do. So uh, the, the situation in the Knesset is not getting any more pleasant, let's say. It's not getting any less adversarial uh, at the moment. And again, while everything that's happening now is just a sort of hors d'oeuvre, as it were, the main meal, the one that everybody's focused on, is the budget, because that's where the fight, and that's the real possibility of bringing down this government. Uh, and with that, I'm happy to answer any questions on this or anything else. All right, thank you so much. Uh, so the first question we have is, will the voting outcomes change, or is the going to be fairly standard with the outcomes based on the animosity in the government? Essentially, will the opposition ever drop their goal of undermining the coalition? and vote for what's best for the country? Um, not at the moment. Uh, there could be situations where we start to see cracks on either side. Um, what is important to note is that there is some leeway on some things. So I'll give you an example. Uh, first of all, the government, I, I keep on talking about 61 to 59, but actually really in theory, Yamina have an extra seat, which is uh, Shikli, which we've spoken about before, um, he has said that he will vote with the government on certain issues. He even said at one point the majority of issues and probably on many of the issues in the budget. So they have one there. Yisrael Bittena also have a rogue MK, Elia Vidar. So far, he's voting mostly with the government on most issues, but he doesn't consider himself beholden to the government. So again, that could be even one less. What they, what where uh, many of these votes uh, can come down to is where the joint list stands. Because as I've said, um, Netanyahu and his allies, his strong allies, which are the two ultra-Orthodox parties and religious Zionist parties, only reaches 53. To get to 59, they need to have cooperation with, uh, with the uh, joint Arab list, um, which they have called all manner of things before, and ideologically, obviously, uh, very opposing. But they understand that they have to work together and they are working together. Um, so. These numbers mean that it's not always going to be 5961, uh, but probably on a lot of issues it is. Whether some members of Netanyahu's uh, coalition are going to uh, come over on some issues, at the moment, no. Uh, they are being extremely disciplined, even though they say that they disagree with some of these laws. And likewise, on the other side, at the moment, both sides are being pretty disciplined. There hasn't been any votes uh, sort of swap over votes. There have been some abstentions, very minimal here and there. People who haven't turned up to vote, again, minimally here and there. Uh, but on the whole, there hasn't been any coalition members who have voted for an opposition bill and likewise. Understood, thank you. From Marie Feldman, if the US rejoins the JCPOA, will this government work covertly with Saudi Arabia, the UAE, et cetera, to get nuclear weapons to offset the power of Iran? To get, sorry, to, uh, that last part? To offset the power of Iran. Will they work together? I mean, they're working together. They're work working covertly together. with Saudi Arabia, UAE, to get nuclear weapons to offset the power of Iran. Oh, oh, so will Israel be helping Saudi Arabia and UAE to get nuclear weapons? I, I know. Um, it certainly wouldn't be in Israel's interest if there are any other players in the region with nuclear weapons. Uh, and to have more countries nuclear weapons basically mean an arms race in the region, which would certainly put Israel's uh, situation far more in peril. And don't forget that Israel always has to look 
not just what happens today, but in five or 10 years. So whereas today we have a very friendly uh, regime in UAE and, and a relatively friendly uh, regime in uh, Saudi Arabia, um, Israel, uh, Israel's seen the region change overnight too many times to think that that, could, uh, that, that will be that way forever. There's certainly a lot of uh, shared interest and the biggest shared interest obviously is uh, at the moment is on Iran and there is a lot of work being done at all levels uh, between those nations and others that you mentioned. Uh, but I don't see that necessarily uh, moving into the point where Israel will help uh, some of its allies acquire nuclear weapons. Thank you. From Reuven Hawk, given the recent poll by the Jewish Democratic Council of America showing the high percentages of American Jews who consider Israel to be an apartheid state and committing genocide against the Palestinians, do you think that the current Israeli government will take this seriously and improve its information campaign? Well, I hope so, uh, obviously, and I'm sure there are a lot of people will be looking at this. Um, you know, every poll like this is, it should be a worry, not because Israel is any of these things that it's accused of, uh, but because there is, there is a, a younger generation of Jews, let alone non-Jews in America, who are buying this. And even though it's not the majority, it's not even a large plurality, it's still, I think it was 20, 25% on, on the apartheid uh, uh, terminology who, who agreed with that. I think that certainly should be a worry for Israel. Um, and I think, you know, there'll be a lot of uh, ministries, the foreign ministry, which, which deals with some of these issues, uh, diaspora affairs ministry, uh, which should certainly be looking at these figures and thinking how we can get our information out better, because it's clear that, um, you know, that, that there's a partisan nature uh, to support for Israel or to be a sympathy for Israel at the moment. And I think we have to work very hard in Israel to try and regain the support of the Democratic Party you know, there are certain members, uh, don't get me wrong, you know, there are certain members of the Democratic Party, which will be far, if not impossible, to bring over. We know who we're talking about here. But there's the mainstream Democratic Party who are sympathetic. And by the way, there was a delegation who were here recently, and the language they used was, was very uh, familiar and warming to, to Israelis. So it's not the whole Democratic Party. It's not even the mainstream Democratic Party. It's really the extreme that, that is using their voice uh, from Congress really to malign Israel. And unfortunately, this seems to be seeping into the consciousness of um, at least a, a part of younger American Jewry. And certainly we, we have to think very hard in Israel at all levels, how we combat this. And it is through greater information and really explaining Israel's story far better than we've done up to this point. Thank you for that. From Bob Larrick, are there any efforts at bringing about better human relations within Israel and or with some of the countries Israel has normalized relations with, uh, such as Jordan and Egypt? Um, are you talking about people-to-people -people relations? Is that, if I understand the question correctly? Um, Jordan and Egypt, I would say, are very different from the UAE. Um, and some of the other countries that Israel has normalized relations with. Jordan and Egypt has been a largely cold peace. Uh, obviously, Egypt since the late 70s and uh, Jordan since the early 90s. Uh, there hasn't been too much people-to-people -people, uh, interaction. During the early years of both of these peace agreements, there was, there was far more optimism to a, a larger or lesser extent fraternity between the, uh, the people. <laughs> but uh, largely today, it's, it, these are... 
uh, peace agreements uh, between the leaders. Um, you know, the way it is now with the UAE is certainly far more friendly. You know, there's a lot more Israelis who are visiting uh, the, the Emirates, even Morocco. Um, and there's a lot of attempts to try and sign agreements in culture, in sports, in people-to-people -people relations. So that, that you know, that this is definitely a, a, a tremendous opportunity for far more sort of breaking the, these barriers of, uh, of uh, you know, leadership, just a, a cold peace between leaders to something a lot more on the ground that the people feel. And the amount of planes that are going into Abu Dhabi and Dubai uh, really just show the, the difference uh, between the older agreements and the new agreements with under the uh, Abraham Accords. And, and I think that there's definite efforts to try and not just keep this at the highest levels, not even at the ministerial levels, not even at the sort of the think tank levels or something like that, but also amongst the people. Uh, so we are seeing uh, something different. You know, there are attempts here and there to try and do something with Jordan and Egypt. And, you know, but they're, they're on a far smaller scale. Thank you. And from Barack Korkmaz, uh, what can we expect about the future of Israel-Turkey relations? Well, there were certainly attempts by uh, President uh, uh, Erdogan to try and see if there can be some a new chapter. You know, he reached out to, I, I believe, both Prime Minister uh, Bennett and new President Herzog. Uh, but that, there has to be a lot more than just uh, a sort of congratulatory uh, conversation. I mean, you know, we've seen even in, in recent days, recent weeks, that Turkey has not lowered its rhetoric uh, against Israel in support of, you know, uh, terrorist groups. It, uh, you know, it, it houses uh, certain leaders of Hamas and, and other problematic players in the region. It funds, it incites, it inspires uh, some, you know, some very uh, problematic things. So, I think that uh, at the moment, uh, Israel's sort of waiting to see if there is this interest uh, to actually turn a new leaf or it's just really window dressing and congratulatory uh, messages. Thank you. Uh, Sandro Bellastrino uh, asks, how do you think the impending implosion of Afghanistan will affect Israel? Um, I, I, I don't think too much. Uh, I mean, not more than it has been for a number of years. Afghanistan hasn't been much of a functioning state for many years. Uh, we're slightly out of that conflict. Uh, you know, it is in our wider neighborhood and there are players involved, uh, you know, levels of influence uh, here in the immediate region. But uh, it's certainly not something that any country in the region or any player who's involved with Afghanistan want to see. Uh, happening, but Israel is not really at that level where it can do anything about it or really necessarily feel the, the greater effects of it uh, any more than uh, the last year or the year before, I would, I would suggest, not being an expert on Afghanistan. Thank you. Uh, Murray Feldman again. Please comment on Lieberman cutting daycare dollars from the ultra-Orthodox. Right, so that was also an issue that came up this week. Uh, uh, Finance Minister Lieberman, as he has promised, he's going to cut some of the subsidies uh, and welfare payments or whatever it is uh, to the ultra-Orthodox community, specifically those who are in full-time learning. Uh, he's very much uh, of the belief that uh, there's a need to incentivize greater 
numbers into the workforce. And obviously one of those communities which has much lower numbers in the workforce is the ultra-Orthodox community. So one of the ways that he felt was a way to A, you know, save some money for the budget and also to incentivize uh, greater numbers into the workforce was to, uh, at the moment, if you have one working parent, then you can get uh, free daycare uh, for kids at a young age. Uh, but what he's now decided to do is that it will only be given to those where both uh, parents are working. And in the ultra-Orthodox world, the woman works more often than not, whereas the man will be in full-time learning. Uh, and if obviously, if the state pays for that, then there's no incentive to go out and work. And his view is that <clears throat> there should be more people going out to work. So you don't pay people not to work, you incentivize them and you give them more benefits when they do work. So. That's something that came up. There was a big backlash, as you can imagine, in the ultra-Orthodox community and its allies. Uh, interesting enough, while they did bash Liebman, they tried to put more pressure on Bennett and uh, Prime Minister Bennett. And Prime Minister Bennett is very sensitive to these issues, not just because he's a religious person. His worldview is certainly far from the ultra-Orthodox, but you know, there's a feeling that he understands at one point uh, in the future, he will need to work with the ultra-Orthodox again. So. He is someone who is stopping a lot of what Lieberman, Lapid, and others would like to do to, to cut even more benefits to the ultra-Orthodox. Uh, so there was quite a, a backlash against Bennett and a lot of work behind the scenes to try and get him uh, on side and trying to make sure that this, you know, this will maybe be the first and last. There was a lot of pressure. A lot of people felt that the warning for this, considering it would start at the beginning of the uh, school year in September was a little bit too soon, uh, too quickly. Uh, so Lieberman has now decided to put it off uh, to November to give people more time to go out and, and, and find work. Uh, but that is an important issue because the ultra-Orthodox, as we've spoken about many times, are very keen to get into the government. Uh, the fact that they bash them and call Lieberman evil and Bennett not religious and all these sort of things doesn't discount the fact that behind closed doors they are very much trying to get in at the moment they are not uh, uh, you know uh, there's talk that maybe after the budget once the budget's been passed maybe it'll be easier for them to join but that's obviously not something that they want because they would certainly want to ensure that uh, the budgets that they've been receiving for many years to ensure their community uh, learns and doesn't work but still gets subsidized for that uh, remains but uh, probably in the budget there'll be a few steps that will be taken in, uh, in, in in that direction, but certainly not as much as there were uh, in previous years. And Liebman himself has said, you know, that there's no way we can do everything we want to. Uh, you know, it has to be a, a stage process. Uh, but the fact that he came out with this, there was all this debate whether Bennett was informed about it, whether he did it on his own. Um, and that's something which uh, very much is on the mind of a lot of uh, coalition watchers to see exactly how much coordination there is, how far uh, they will go because, uh, you know, sort of the war against these subsidies, these extra subsidies to the Orthodox community is a major issue for some of the major players in the coalition. And maybe there's this good cop, bad cop uh, sort of play being played out. Uh, but that's something which certainly has to be watched to see how far we'll go, how much will, uh, how many measures or steps will be taken to try and incentivize and bring more people into the workforce. Uh, and whether the ultra-Orthodox are going to be going to continue knocking the door and whether that door will eventually be opened for them. Hey, well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week.
Uh, for our viewers, please join us Friday for the kickoff of our new series featuring MEF project directors and specialists in their respective fields. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a great day.